once we decided that relationships was going to be the equity that we invested in first, the within a year, somebody reached out to us and said, Hey, we'd like for you guys to co GP with us. Hello, and welcome to pillars of wealth creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now let's get to it. Well, welcome back to Pills of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dykesheimer. With me, excited to have Ramsey Blankenship. Ramsey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Todd. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, appreciate you joining us. And uh, a little bit about Ramsey. He is a multifamily investor, but he's also active duty in the Navy. Uh, he's got 12 units, 12 rental units in Panama City and uh, nine more in Louisiana. He's uh, done successfully performed the, the Burr strategy, a seven unit apartment complex. Uh, and he has an eight unit hotel uh, also purchased and a 119 unit apartment syndication. So exciting stuff. Um, let's dive in. So why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about your background? And I, I really just want to dive into like, while you're active duty Navy doing that whole thing and also real estate. Yeah. So, uh, I, I joined the Navy right out of high school and had wanted to get started in investing in real estate, but immediately got wow. stationed out in San Diego, California. And, uh, man, I don't know, I don't know about where you grew up, but where I grew up, my dad, he, he built his house for $36,000, right? I went out to San Diego, California, and houses were like half a million dollars. So I had, <laughs> I had no business being able to buy a house, but in the military, uh, we have the VA loan where you don't have to put any money down. So it really does allow just um, us to be able to purchase a house no matter where we live and become homeowners. And I wasn't looking for investments back then. I was just looking for a place to stay for me and my wife and kids. And I ended up buying just a single family home in a little beach town in uh, south of San Diego called Imperial Beach. And whenever I moved from Imperial Beach to Panama City, Florida, where I got stationed to be an instructor at Navy Dive School, uh, I sold the house. And I bought it in 2011, sold it in 2014, which looking back, I wish I would have not have sold that house. Yeah, I could have kept it a few more years. Yeah, but um, I put $40,000 in my pocket. Right. And, and me and my wife, we thought we were rich. I had never seen $40,000 in my life. Right. I'm 23, 24 years old at the time and $40,000 meant the world to me. But before, before we had made that sale, while we we're living in that house, you know, I had, I had read all the books, right. The automatic millionaire had read the Dave Ramsey's read the rich dad, poor dad. I'd been educating myself, uh, but had never really been able to do an investment. And I remember it was funny because everything that I had learned growing up was pretty much save, 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 uh, put away money for retirement. And we were doing that. I, I, I remember bringing my paycheck home, cashing it out, giving it to my wife. She would put it in all the envelopes, like the, the Dave Ramsey book says, and she would hand me two envelopes, right? One was for gas. One was for entertainment. The one was for gas was a hundred bucks. And the one that was for entertainment was $75. And I was like, <laughs> this is horrible. Like, this is not how I want to live. Right. So, uh, every, every, every book that I read was like, don't drink Red Bulls. Don't dip. Don't, don't drink alcohol. Don't go out to the movies. Don't, 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 don't. 
well, now I'm sitting here with $40,000 in my pocket. And all I had to do was live in a house to get that in a market that appreciated. So that was a game changer for me. I was like, man, we got to get into real estate right now. Uh, and it just so happened moving from Panama city or moving from San Diego to Panama city, you're going from being able to buy houses for half a million dollars to now we're in the one $200,000 range. So it was a lot more affordable to be able to buy something uh, that was more of an investment rather than just living in it. Uh, so when we moved down to Panama city, that's where I did my first house hack. And I was telling my wife the whole time, like, Hey, we want to find a duplex, live in one side, rent the other side out. It'll be great. Our mortgage will be paid by somebody else. And she was like, no, not at all. Not, not even remotely interested. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you're killing my dreams, babe. But, but I talked to her and she's like, Ramsey, look, I, we're a growing family. I don't want to share a wall with somebody. I don't yeah. want every time our dogs yeah. bark to be disturbing somebody or, or every time we have an argument or watching a loud movie or whatever it may be. And so I don't, the way that I hear things, uh, I didn't hear no, I heard yes, but we don't need to share a wall. <laughs> and, uh, so I went hunting, uh, and I found a house that had everything that we needed. It was, you know, three bedroom, two bath house, backyard fence for the dogs. But on the backside of it had these two little cottages that had alley access and they came with the house and it was perfect. But now I had to, now I had to get the wife on board. Right. <laughs> and yep, so, yep. uh, I brought her to the house and I didn't mention the cottages on the back. I was just like, Hey babe, what do you think about this house? And she's like, well, we're only here for three years. It, it looks fine. Uh, I, I, we could live here. And I said, cool, I'm buying it. And she's like, all right, whatever. And then right before we closed, we did the final walkthrough. And I told her, I said, Hey, what do you think about the neighbors out in the behind the backyard? She's like, they, they look like neighbors, Ramsey. I was like, okay, so you don't, you don't mind them at all. And she goes, no, we're going to have neighbors. I said, exactly. We're going to have neighbors, babe. I said, but these neighbors pay $650 a month in rent and our house only costs us $1,200. I said, and that those two neighbors come with the house. <laughs> and she was like, if I would have just told her, Hey, we're landlords now, she'd have probably chopped my head off. But Whenever she's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. We get to live in the big house while the people in the little houses pay for us to stay here. Yep. I said, that's exactly right. And oh, money. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wow. I'm on board. It's money. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, that's how we we got into that was like our breakthrough into kickstarting our investment career. And ever since then, she's pretty much uh, given me the green light to make decisions like that because uh, no more envelopes, right? No, no more. Not, let's not go. Now it's, Hey, let's go to the movies. Let's go have fun. Let's, let's live a little, uh, and enjoy ourselves. And we'll just make decisions like that along the way. And, uh, ever since then, it's just grown and grown and grown. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gone backwards and, 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 and done anything smaller since. So it's, it's been good. That's great. That's great. That's a funny story. It's, uh, we were looking at uh buying our, our would have been our second house we sold our first one and we were looking at buying our second one and i i wanted to buy the duplex as well my wife said the exact same thing like <laughs> we're grown adults yeah we're like beyond that stage i don't want to share a wall i've already owned up my own home like i yeah. we're not going backwards exactly so exactly. forget you <laughs> like it's, you it's, a, it's a real I'm thing not. man it's a real thing yeah yeah you, you gotta figure it out 
Right. So, so, okay. So you did that. Uh, and then you've bought quite a few more properties since then. Um, what, what, what have you bought and, and kind of where you're at right now today? What do you focus on today? Yeah. So, uh, that buying that, that house hack, right back then we didn't know it was a house hack. It was just, we were buying investment yeah, property. Right. Right. Uh, that allowed us to actually start saving real money. Right. Uh, we, you know, my entire housing allowance was going to the bank account. And so I went and bought, uh, so at this point we're, we're landlords, but only on the property that, that we live at. Mm-hmm. So we weren't really, investor investing big in that so i was like okay the next step seems to be we we need to buy something that we don't live at and manage it so i went and bought a duplex and uh i ain't gonna lie this duplex was was not the best part of town i got it for forty thousand dollars but that duplex rented for 450 dollars a side and only cost me about 280 dollars a month to own and I, i was looking at buying my first truck Right. My first truck was going to be about my, or I should say my first uh, brand new truck. I'd always been taught, don't brand, remember Dave Ramsey, all these books, don't buy a brand new vehicle. Yep. And uh, I wanted to buy this truck. It was about $40,000 and the duplex was $40,000. I was like, man, I can't afford them both, but how can I? And so I ended up doing the math and saying, if I buy this duplex, the money that I get in cash flow ends up paying off the truck note. So why would I go pay $40,000 for a truck that is not going to buy me a duplex, but I can buy the duplex and it's going to pay for my truck. And I, I've owned that duplex. I just sold that duplex. I owned it for five and a half years. Literally the day I sold it, I bought, I used the, the money from that uh, income to buy my adventure van. So I got two vehicles out of one duplex, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but that mentality has carried me a long way. I went, I bought a duplex. I bought a seven-unit apartment complex and did the first strategy like you talked about. Uh, and then from there, that was pretty much everything I did in Panama City. Uh, I started partnering with other people because I wanted to invest in different markets. Panama City is a really small market. Yep. Um, invested in Shreveport, Louisiana, biggest mistake of my life, uh, but I learned a lot from it. You can't just glaze over that now. What was, yeah, yeah. What so was mistake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so people, I got, I got some friends to report. They're gonna hit me up on this one. But uh, what I had done, Todd, is I took the formula that worked in Panama City, and I cut and pasted it into Shreveport. Okay. The only reason I was investing in Shreveport is because a business partner of mine in a different business uh, wanted to get into investing in real estate. He liked what I had going on. I says, well, I don't need your help in Panama city at all. Like, you know, I'm local. I can do everything myself, but let's try where you live. And he says, okay, well, how do you find, how do you find these properties? And I kind of gave him like my napkin underwriting rule of thumb and said, if you can find properties that'll do this, then, then they'll cash flow, and I'll, I'll give you half the money. You manage it and we'll split it 50, 50. You said, okay. So we went and bought a triplex. Six months later, bought a six-unit apartment complex. Well, in 2018, I did my tax my tax return for Panama City, and everything, man, everything was good. I was making good money. Closed the books on that, opened up Shreveport, Louisiana, and from nine units through 12 months, I profited $250. And I was like, what is this, man? <laughs> like, well, we're not making any money. And so I hit him up and was like, hey, what's going on? And to be honest, I was pretty, I told him, you manage it. Uh, 
And I was there to answer any questions, but I said, Brandon, what's going on in Shreveport? And he says, look, all the numbers work out if the occupancy is the way it is in Panama City. Says, but we've got we've got delinquency. The, the A lot of the utilities are in our name. I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and other people are offering like months free and rent mm. free storage to get people in. And I was like, man, I, well, why is that? Right. So I really started to do some research on like what makes a market good and what makes the market bad. And I came across, uh, Neil Bauer. And Neil Bauer starts, he, he's, it's the, the, this is the next day, man. The podcast I'm listening to, the, the host says, uh, ask Neil, he says, why don't you give our guests some gold nuggets? He says, I got a gold nugget for you. If you're investing in Shreveport, Louisiana, you need to sell now. <laughs> and I was like, That's what? Hilarious. <laughs> what? <laughs> How is this happening? And uh, he started breaking down mar market uh, metrics and, and everything made sense. So me and Brandon flew out to LA and met with Neil and, and his underwriter and learned how to read markets. And ever since then, now, like, cause I live in San Diego now, I, I'm not investing in San Diego, the cash, I invest for cash flow. So I had to learn how to invest in other markets and yeah. Panama city is too small to, to support yeah. like what I'm trying to do. So it was Shreveport. I have not necessarily lost money, but I'm in the business of making money, not just having my money sit there. And so I'll, I'll consider any losses in Shreveport, my tuition to the, to the real estate college. Uh, but that money could be out there making me a lot more, but I think what is probably better for me is that I did invest in a bad market and I wouldn't want to call it a bad market, but I did invest in a not desirable market. And now it has taught me that I need to invest in myself and learn how to read markets. And by do, being able to do that has gotten me some, to, uh, to a much larger and much better deals. I'll call it a bad market for you because it's a bad market. <laughs> yeah. if, it, if it's not making you money, if, and if the reasons are that you got too high of bad debt, you got too low of occupancy, it's a bad market. It might not be a bad place to live, right? Yeah. For your friends that live there, it might be a great place to live, maybe a great place to do business and grow a family, but it's a bad place to invest if you can't make money. A hundred percent. And I, what well, the thing that I've learned is that you can make, you can make money in a bad market and you can lose money in a good market. Right. True. So the, the play in Shreveport is not multifamily units. Mm. Cause if you like the, the way that I read a market now, I've got what I call the market vital signs. There's five of them and I can, I can break it down pretty simply. Healthy markets grow, unhealthy markets die. And why would a market be growing? Like what makes something grow? Well, if people are, if more people are moving to it, than they're moving away from it, then that market's growing, right? And there's a reason it's growing. And I, I go through population growth, median household income, median household value, crime rate, and job growth. Yep. Well, if more people are moving to the market than from it, there's a reason for that. And it's pretty simply put, people move to a market so that they can make more money to buy nicer houses so they can live in safer neighborhoods. And typically the only reason that's going to bring them there is, is job growth. So a, uh, I mean, there's other reasons to move to a place, but there's not just like a, a mass drone of retirement people just moving to places, right? It, usually your re retirement locations aren't necessarily good uh, economic markets unless you look at Florida right now. But being able to like look at Shreveport, 
Shreveport's population had gone down in uh, 2,000 people in the past 20 years, where other markets were increasing 20, 30 percent. Yeah. Right. So when you look at a market and you say, okay, this this market was outfitted to to house 200,000 people, and now it only houses 198,000 people. Well, that doesn't seem like a massive loss, but that means that there's 2,000 vacancies that people are competing against to fill and get rent. Yep. So the first, the first red flag for any market for me is going to be if the population is not increased. I like to see a 1% population increase over a 20 year period of time. Typically when the population increases, it's because people are making more money. So median household income is going to go up. If they're making more money, they're going to be able to afford a nicer house. So the value of the home is going to go up, especially with supply and demand. And if you, people are making more money, living in nicer houses, delinquency is typically down because desperation's out the window. So crime rate's going to be dropping. Wrap all that up and contribute to job growth, and you've got yourself at least a healthy market. Doesn't mean the neighborhood that you pick is going to be a good neighborhood. You got to well, dig a little key. bit deeper than that. Right. But but looking at the metropolitan statistical area and being able to look at those five vital signs, and it's it's not. I mean, you. I will accept a little bit higher crime rate if the crime rate is trending downward, right? Cause that's good sure. sign that, that a market is investing in their police force, investing in their education. Uh, they're doing something and that you might be able to get on the very, uh, very forefront of, of good growth. But if, uh, if, if crime rate is trending upwards, then that, 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 that is a good sign that that market is dying. Right. <laughs> so is there, is there uh, any major market that's, that's trending uh, downward right now? I don't know. Crime rate seems to be going up pretty rapidly with all this uh, police uh, hatred going on, especially yes, in major you, cities. You certainly need to be able to read data, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, for instance, there's anomalies out there, outliers. Uh, like, if you look at New Orleans and you see the the population increase, you look go. If you were to Google like the population of New Orleans, you'd see that in 2005 it had it lost like 20. percent Well, that's Hurricane Katrina. That's Hurricane Katrina. Right. Yeah. So her like major anomalies and outliers. You're gonna have to be able to throw the outliers out and look right. at the at, at the data for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, are there markets trending downwards in population growth? Yep. Shreveport. <laughs> yeah. well, there's plenty one of them. Of them. There's, yeah. there's plenty of them. I look at them all the time. Uh, yeah, and you're right, 100%. You got to be looking for that population growth, that job growth, what's going on in the market. If population's growing, likely, as you said, jobs are jobs are coming in, and most of those other points are are happening. So yeah. So you bought an eight-unit hotel. Are you keeping it as a hotel, or are you converting it to apartments? Keeping it as a hotel, and and so this one. Uh, owning properties in Panama city kind of naturally uh, because Panama city is so heavily dependent on the tour tourism industry. I don't want to say it's dependent, but it definitely is a major economic driver. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy. And the rules in Panama city, uh, you, you can short-term rent, right? It's not like yeah. uh, California or something like that, yeah. where they have a lot of rules against it. Yeah. So to maximize the way that I did it was I took half my units, convert them into short-term rentals, and I wanted at least half to cover my mortgages and 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 save for a rainy day, right? At the other half, maximize my return. It's it's doubled sometime in the summer months, tripled uh, the income versus a long-term rental, and the occupancy for those short-term rentals, it's it's the occupancy is never low, it's just the price chases the thermometer. So if it's hot increase the prices. If it's cold, 
there's still people there. There's still like, there's still snowbirds that are traveling to the area. Just can't charge as much. Uh, so getting into the short-term rental space kind of opened my eyes to other opportunities. I don't, I, the, the hotel I bought is eight units. It's not a, you know, it's not like some holiday Inn express or something. Right. So, uh, it's, it happened to be in a market that I know I grew up pretty close to the area and it was brought to me by a friend of mine completely off market. Um, and I understood the numbers on, on how to evaluate a short-term rental and the numbers work. Uh, even at, even if this hotel goes down to 30% occupancy, it'll still cover all of its expenses and cash flow. And, and I can handle 30% occupancy all year round. Yep. Um, so the thing that I like about it, because whenever everything I just talked about market analysis, throw that out the window when you're looking at short-term rentals. All right, because it does nobody cares how good the market is when they're on vacation. They just care about how unique the area is. Okay, they're not moving, you're not selling them a place to live for their job, you're selling them a place to stay for their experience. So if you, if you go around uh, looking for a short term rental and trying to analyze the market based on that, you're gonna you're never gonna purchase anything that that the numbers are gonna work on. Because yep. if you think about a mountain town, right, that's where a lot of people travel to go to the mountains uh, and stay, well, there's typically not a lot of job growth in the mountains, right? So, but there are a lot of people that vacation to them and you can charge a premium, uh, if you rent by the night versus trying to rent by the month or even trying to rent by the year. So this little hotel that I have, it's, it's in, uh, Southwest Louisiana. It's in a little bitty town of, of 2,500 people, uh, called Lake Arthur, but there's a beautiful lake there. Uh, it's one of the bird watching like capitals of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So literally on a, on a, a route called the flyway byway. Uh, it's, it's, it's it, like, there's alligators, there's birds. It's, it's got that Southwest Louisiana feel to it. And a lot of people want to, it's right in between new Orleans and Houston. So you get a lot of people who travel from new or from new Orleans to Houston. Don't want to stay on a interstate highway hotels. They want to stay in something unique. Well, this building used to be a bank and the, the people who uh, I, I buy it from took a bank, renovated it to be a hotel, put a second story on it, put these big New Orleans style uh, balconies on it, rockers out front and everything like that. But they kept the vault and they kept the drive through window and they incorporated it into the rooms and it's called the bank hotel. So it's like a really unique stay like you're you would never think, oh, I want to go stay in a bank, but it's cool. Like the, the, the walk-up window is this old teller machine, uh, got the big, uh, you know, metal bars in front. It's just a beautifully, a beautifully renovated, um, building. And I, th I think it'll do very well because it is unique. So do you staff something like that? The, you know, you know, regular hotel, you got the check-in desk and all that kind of stuff. Do you use a eight unit? Do you staff something like that? So we're going through the business. This, this is a brand new acquisition of ours. And we're going through the business plan right now. Some of the problems that the hotel have is it had low occupancy until recently there was a hurricane. Okay. The hurricane pretty much pushed a lot, displaced a lot of people. So they needed to stay in hotels. All right. Um, so I asked myself, well, why is it people are staying there for hurricane stuff instead of staying there because of how unique it is? One of the one of the issues I see with it is that the the marketing on it, you no one knows to look for a hotel in Lake Arthur that's a unique stay. You have to bring those people in, and in my opinion, the best way to bring people in 
who are looking for unique stays is to use the short-term rental platforms such as VRBO and Airbnb. Because those are the type of people who don't like hotels, Mm -hmm. but they're looking for something unique. This is not a typical hotel and it's very unique. So I think uh, incorporate right now, everything's a direct listing off the website and a lot of the income is spillover from booked up hotels. However, for anybody who doesn't know this, after a hurricane hits for about two years, the market is very uh, strong because you get a lot of insurance money coming in. Supply and demand is all cattywampus. So anybody who has something that you can live in can get a premium for it. Well, if it's a short-term rental, you can get a, a very good premium for it. In fact, Trust me, I, my stuff's in Panama City. I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm in tune to how hurricanes work. They bring in a lot of economy because people from out of town have to come and help. Hmm. So you get the adjusters, you get the, the, the people who clean up debris, you get the linemen who, to fix the power line poles. Yep. And then after that, you get contractors who come from all over the place that literally storm chase and they need a place to stay. They don't want to buy a house. So yep. the short-term rental game uh, after a hurricane as unfortunate as a hurricane is, those are the people who are, who are actually making a pretty good amount of money by renting to the people who are there to help. So. Are you on the uh, short-term? Short-term rentals are kind of intriguing to me. I, I, I wouldn't mind uh, having a few. However, I know nothing about them, so I've never bought one. Um, are, are Like the day-to-day, who's doing the day-to-day? Like there, there's got to be cleaners and maintenance and that are – can you make money off of those by having those people there? Do you have a third party property management? How, how does that work? Yes. Yeah, so I guess I never answered your question about, is it, is it a fully staffed hotel? Yes, right now it is. And we will be converting um, some of the units to just draw in the short-term rental, but there are, there is a consistent um, customer base that expects that hotel experience. However, we're just going to reduce the hours down. But in the on the Panama City side, that these are just uh, individual apartment units. They're not, excuse me, they're not hotel rooms. Uh, the answer is yes, and there are plenty of people out there. Property managers are doing it. Uh, you can find people who are specific uh, to the short-term rental business. There's two major um, people who are going to allow your business to work. One of them is the person who's going to be the host, right? And if you try and host yourself. If you're not living in that area, you're just going to be out of tune to, to, what, to what's going on. Yep. Uh, so there are people who are like super host already, and they're trying to acquire more units. And you can do a couple of things. You can allow them to rent your space and then sublease it on the short-term rental space. That's not really you getting into short-term rentals, but the, the benefit of it is, is that place gets keep, kept in pristine condition. It gets, it gets deep cleaned like at least once a week. Right. And then you have a guaranteed tenant uh, that that if, if things go well, we'll continue to rent that space from you. I've I've been you can kind of consider it like a master lease option or what so, I've yeah. been renting. Go ahead. You're, they're just leasing from you a, a monthly fee and then yeah. they're making whatever spread they can make on top of it. Correct. So I, I do that with uh, four of my units. I rent them directly to my property manager and she's been renting from me for four years now. So I have not had any turnover. She, she gives me market rents. Uh, I, you know, and those, those rents, she puts, she furnishes them. She puts all of the utilities in her name and then she gets whatever's on top of it. And she, she probably makes three, $400 a unit in cash flow. 
and I'm still making my three, $400 a unit in cash flow. So everybody's happy. And at the end of the day, if she leaves on me uh, and doesn't want to do it anymore, that, that unit has been maintained and managed professionally. I mean, deep cleaned so many times, like it's, it's just in great condition yep. versus someone just kind of living in it, you know, like with yep. their pets and all their stuff, you got to do a turn. I will not have to do a turnover if she leaves me because the turnover is happening every week. It's every, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But if, if you want to be the person who is actually doing the short-term rental, like it, it's in your name, uh, expect the utilities, the cable, the Wi-Fi, uh, all of the, you know, the quick maintenance expenses, uh, all of the furnishings, resupply, expect all that to be your expenses. Okay. And if, if it's your place, you know, obviously all of the long-term rental costs are also right. included. Right. So what I will say is this on short-term rentals, do not look at it as it has to be a vacation destination. All right. There are hotels on the side of the interstate that nobody's vacationing to. People just need a place to stay. Okay. And a lot of people like being able to stay in a place with a little bit more amenities. They don't necessarily care about the pool and the hot tub, but they want their room. They want more space. They might want a kitchen, uh, a place to cook. They might want, a, you know, a, a pull out couch, whatever it may be. All of my short-term rentals are one bedroom, one bath units. It's not, I see people buying these massive log cabins and they can charge a premium for it. But whenever short, whenever short-term rental, uh, th th there's always going to be somebody who wants to rent out a one bedroom, one bath. There's not always somebody who wants to rent out a five bedroom, four bath, right? And that's a massive amount of expenses. You can make a big profit on it. But for me, I would rather own about 10 of those small units that I know are going to rent out uh, for people I mean, people travel for funerals. They travel for college graduations. They travel because their their you know in laws are sick at the the hospital nearby. They travel for sporting events, whatever it may be. Don't just look at it as I got to buy a short term rental in a in a in a destination location. Albeit Panama City is a very you know travel oriented area, uh, but I'm on the city side. I'm not even on the beach side, man. Like that, it is not. Nobody's going to Panama City Beach to vacation just to stay on the city side. It's always on the beach side. But I still, again, occupancy is about eighty percent throughout the wow. whole year. That's really that's solid. Um, all right, let's talk syndication, man. You got the this this one hundred nineteen unit apartment building. Um, excited about this first syndication. Let's talk about it. Okay, yeah. So this is uh, this is the most recent purchase that that me and my team have made. And so kind of the natural progression going from house hack, uh, multifamily, commercial multifamily, out of state. The hotel came out of nowhere, to be honest. But uh, my team and I, whenever we went to uh, talk to Neil Bawa, he was the, the reason he was able to do such large projects. When we asked him, like, how are you doing this? Uh, it was because it was doing syndications. That was the first time I'd ever heard about it. Hmm. And it has taking, taken about eight months, maybe even close to a year now, to get the first syndication underway. Okay. And I'm not going to lie. Good. I, That's actually pretty good, by the way. Well, it, well let, let me just tell you, Todd, I, when I left, I was like, dude, we're doing this. We're going to have one under contract next week. Yeah. <laughs> like, Everybody like, thinks that. Yeah. Uh, I was naive in thinking that me and my one partner were going to do all of this on our own yeah. on the first try. Yeah. What I did not realize, 
uh, and we kept asking each other, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Do you, do you get a, do you buy a property with money you don't have, or do you raise money for a property you don't have? Which one comes first? And the answer is relationships come first. That is a hundred percent. The answer. Uh, we were out there trying to capital raise and people like, well, what am I, you don't have anything. I was like, well, here's a, here's an example of what we would buy. And they say, okay, well, cool. When you do have it, call me back. Well, Hey, that was a lead. But that, what happened was we started a conversation and built a relationship with them. And then we started talking to brokers and brokers are like, well, y'all ain't got no money. And we're like, yeah, but we're going to get the money. And they're like, well, call me when you got the money. So, you know what I mean? So, what we ended up doing was just, okay, well, let's go out and talk to everybody who's doing syndications and just build relationships with them. Let's talk to them, tell them what we want to do. Uh, let's get on podcasts and talk to other people who are doing syndications because now like me and you, Todd, we got an hour. We're sitting here getting to know each other. This is the start of a relationship, right? And so once we decided that relationships was going to be the equity that we invested in first, the within a year, somebody reached out to us and said, Hey, we'd like for you guys to co-GP with us. And that was a perfect end for us because we doing it all now seeing what they had to do. Like we came in on this deal halfway through, they didn't realize they needed a co-GP uh, and they're new as well. But the, the sponsors that they have are big names in the industry. Uh, the, 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 the team that they got another group of, of, of veterans and uh, they have done a couple smaller syndications, but this was the first hundred plus unit syndication. And so we jumped right in and got to leverage all of their experiences, all of their, like, see how they underwrite, see how they communicate, see the systems and policies that they had in place that we didn't even like, we knew about it, but we had never actually been able to exercise that muscle. Mm-hmm. And so now because of a relationship that we built with them, we're able to jump on, jump, basically jump in the syndication with them on the GP side and learn everything with them. Uh, we got to bring uh, an opportunity to our investors. We're able to raise $500,000 in a week. And I had no clue we were able to do that. Like I thought maybe $200,000 and half of that would be our own money. No, we ended up raising $500,000 in one week because we had been building relationships for the past year. And so it honestly, it, it surprised me. It surprised our team. And it just gave us that confidence booth. Like we can do this. We, right. we definitely can do this. Uh, so it, it's been a, it's been a cool ride to see. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. My, uh, my ability to do all that myself, if I were to try to do all that myself, it would probably be three years from now until I was talking to you, Todd saying, yeah, we still don't have a deal. <laughs> so we're looking though. We're looking. Yeah, yeah, we're looking. We're always looking for deals, always looking for money. Well, cool. You have neither. <laughs> yeah. but, I, I, but if you have a relationship, you, I'm telling you, invest in relationships. It is. It, it pays dividends. Yeah, 100%. Um, no matter what you're doing, where you're going, investing in those relationships is going to be gonna be massive to being able to get you to that next level. And you, you co-GP'd. That's a relationship. So you partner with this other group that's got the experience. Sounds like they also have relationships that they're bringing in the deal. Then you built these relationships with your investors. You were able to raise 500K in two weeks for your first money raise. That is absolutely amazing. Um, You know, most people are, you know, 500K. It's going to take them, you know, like you said, you didn't even know if you could do 200K. Like, so... It shows that you prepared. First of all, you prepared for it. 
you built the relationships and you took action. And, and those are the steps it takes to, to get it done. So that's exciting. Uh, where are you going from here? Uh, so we're, we're continuing the syndication route for sure. I, I want our team to work our way up to where we are sponsoring our own deals. Uh, so right now we, we still, we need KPs and, and, and we need uh, sponsors for any deals that we do. And for anybody who's looking to get into syndications, it's, you kind of need to graduate. I did not know this. I wish I would have known this uh, whenever I entered, you yeah. kind of need to graduate. So the first syndication that you go after if you're not going to be able to do it all yourself, because you, unless you have a massive amount of liquidity and one of your partners just happens to be somebody who's syndicated a bunch before, then you may be able to do it. But if you're just a bunch of guys who want to get into syndications together, like we were, uh, you're going to need to bring that experience because a bank's not going to lend to you unless they, unless they're essentially a, a qualified sponsor. And that basically means they've done three syndications and one of them's probably needed to go on full cycle. Sure. The, the, the key principle, that person needs to have the liquidity to cover the, uh, the loan, the down payment of the loan, right? So even though you're going to go out and capital raise from a bunch of uh, limited partners, you still have to have somebody on your team who's got a substantial amount of liquidity. And then uh, just understand that like there are probably five or six different roles within a syndication that need to be held. And one person is chances are not going to be able to cover them all down. So you need a team. It doesn't have to be a team of five. One person can cover one or two roles, but you do need a team of people because if you try and do it all yourself, you're just going to get task saturated and you're not going to communicate with your investors correctly. People are going to have all these questions that you don't not willing to answer because you're trying to get the problem solved. And it's just, in my opinion, you're going to sink the ship. So relationships, once you have the relationships established and, and, and the way that I built my team was I said, okay, this is what I'm good at. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a people person. Right? <laughs> you might ask, what do you do here, Ramsey? I'm a people person. I go out, I build the relationships. I talk to people. Uh, I get the team together, come up with the business plan, but I hate underwriting. I can't stand it. Like I, I, my eyes cross when I start looking at numbers like that, I like to understand what's happening, but putting the, the, the data entry, no, I'd, I'd rather headbutt a nail gun, but then I have guys, uh, I'm not very good at, at, at project management, right? Well, there's construction teams for that. I'm not good at property management. Well, there's property management teams for that, right? Uh, so there are a lot of things that I'm not very good at that I, I brought people onto my team who are good at that and we complement each other. Yep. So building your team, building your relationships is, is step one. And once you have a winning team, people will invest in you because they can see that. They can see why your team is assembled. They can see the logic behind it. But if everybody all has the same skill set, you're all just people, people. Well, who's going to invest in that? Like, what do you actually do? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't do anything. So uh, that's the next step for us is we're going to continue on with the syndication route, um, trying to move into 506Cs, uh, where we deal mostly with accredited investors. Uh, there's a couple of things that we've been looking to, at to make our capital raising easier. Uh, like like starting a fund, but I think that's too far in the distance right now. I think what we need to do right now is focus on getting syndication two and three and growing our our, our investor base, and then turning around and starting to sponsor deals. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, all right, couple last questions before we wrap up. What's a what's a big mistake that you've made or mistake that you've made? How did you learn from it? Uh, thinking too small, too early on. I, I, 
I could have, I could have gone into larger apartment complexes out the gate. I do like, I do like that. I progressed the way that I did, but I didn't put my name out there and I didn't, I didn't let anybody know I was investing for about five years. Uh, and I think the reason that may have been is because me being in the military, I wanted the military to know that like it was always my priority and it always yeah. has been, but I can, I've learned, I can do both. Yeah. And so I, the reason that that hotel came my way was because I put my name out there. I made Started one talking. Facebook post and, uh, from that Facebook post, people in my network now knew, Hey, Ramsey buys real estate. Ramsey invested in real estate and they, things, opportunities just started coming my way. Yeah. So I was thinking too small. I was thinking in a vacuum. I was trying to do everything myself, uh, way too early on. And once I kind of opened up, uh, I guess me to the world, things have changed like uh, drastically. So yeah. that would be my, my biggest mistake other than true. Yeah, i <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it all right uh what's your favorite book uh the one thing by gary keller and jay papazon good. good book uh, yeah that that has really allowed me to break things down you're into... gonna tell me dave ramsey no no, 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 no. <laughs> i i think dave ramsey has a very good process for getting out of debt so yeah. if you're in debt that's a good way to get out of it but if once you're out of debt start investing and, and you're gonna need to my opinion, get away from the Dave Ramsey stuff, more into the Robert Kiyosaki stuff, uh, just looking at money through a different lens. Yep. But the reason uh, the one thing is my favorite, because everybody has a vision of what they want to do, but they don't know how to get there. It just seems so unattainable. And that book really helps you figure out what it is you want to do and then break it down into yep. chewable bites. Yep. And the philosophy on my team is we're, we're, we're building a mountain out of layers of paint. So every day we're just putting on another coat of paint, right? And eventually we will get there. Uh, another one is pretty much move the needle every day. However you want to look at that, you need to do something every day that gets you towards your goal. That book helps you figure out what that something is. Yep. I love it. Love it. Um, all right. So last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? My three pillars of wealth creation? Yep. Uh, so right now i'm in my i got my w2 job i love being in the military I, I i i've been in for 15 years so once i retire from the military um i'll have basically i'll have a retirement at age 38 and the the one thing that's kind of uh, amazing about being in the military once you retire you start collecting your retirement check immediately right <laughs> ever since then um I started investing in real estate and I also own a business out, outside of uh, both of those, which is a baseball tournament running business. Those three, I would say, would be my three revenue streams that helped me get my cabin in the woods when I turned 50. So <laughs> I'm not sure if that was uh, the, the, the best answer for that, but those, those are my three. That's the way that I'm diversifying my life. I'll have my benefits covered through the military. I love investing in real estate. And, and then I'll also love baseball. So those are kind of my avenues. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, Ramsey, appreciate you joining us. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Learn more about what you got going on. Uh, so they can look us up at, at realfocus.org. And that's real as in real estate, focus.org. Uh, you can listen to any of the podcasts I've been on. 
And uh, look, you, you can, if you want to invest with us in syndications, you can go on there and fill out the investor questionnaire, or you can email me directly at Ramsey at realfocus.org. Uh, so awesome. That's how. Ramsey, again, really appreciate it. And uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.